Welcome to a very special edition of the Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy. I'm the pitcher, and I'm going to throw nothing but curveballs and fastballs to the silver slugger, the golden glover, the all-star, Brett Boone. Brett, how are you? Hi, Dan. Hi, Brett. You still you working on your baseball lingo? I'm trying to. Yeah, I got silver good. slugger down. That's pretty good for me. Yeah, yeah I got it. <laughs> what do you got? What do you got for me today? The pins and stripes. Well, got the pins and stripes. Well, apparently my my baseball lingo is better than your golf game, so I know I could sleep on that tonight. Oh man! <sighs> Last time we talked about it, I was good. I was awful. I mean, awful. You jinxed I think yourself. I shot eighty four, eighty five, and it was like a a lucky eighty four. You know, chipped one in. Nothing. Uh, I was at the golf shop all excited before the round. You know, I bought some balls. was looking at some new putters. I was going to play really good. Back felt good. Horrible. Well, maybe next time you can either Whatever. shoot some balls with me or maybe you want to uh, tee off no. on the lady spot for a little while just to get back your uh, your your swing. No, I told you. You've got years <laughs> of practice before I allow you to play in my foursome. I was going to say, the way you played today, I think I might be a little ahead of schedule, Pally. <laughs> Now, uh, speaking of good and awesome, we have a special guest tonight, a Hollywood star, one of the one of the guys who's probably been in maybe two, three of my favorite movies and television show television shows of all time. He was in Beverly Hills Cop. He was in Midnight Run, and actually my favorite television show of all time, Police Squad. Ladies and gentlemen, damn, you're dating yourself from Hollywood, or maybe I might not be there right now. But ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Ashton. Hey, what's up, John? Hi, how are you doing, Dan? What's up? How are you, sir? Johnny. Hey, Booney. What's up, man? Oh, that's right. What's... You guys you guys are friends, right? How do you guys know each other? <laughs> Johnny? Yeah. I want to appreciate you coming. Uh, this is my first side. This is groundbreaking on the Boone podcast. I am on the other side of the microphone. And Mr. Ashton, you, you're kind of my guinea pig. <laughs> You're kind of my guinea pig, Johnny. Longtime friends, we've we've known each other, good part of thirty years, fellow Trojan. And yep. by the way, what is going on with our with SC? What everybody else is playing? We got the SEC playing, we got the Big Ten, Big Twelve, Pac twelve. We're, we're not going to play. What's going on? I I have no idea, man. You know, I mean, I live in Colorado now, and. I played golf with uh, the head of the women's basketball and and his assistant uh, Ryan Williams and Chad Lavin and and they, they don't know what they're doing with the, the basketball season either and I mean every it's day by day and uh, I, I don't know why uh, you know some some schools are doing it and some aren't you know I mean look at pro football you know Kansas City uh, last week or two weeks ago they had seventeen thousand people in the stands. You know, which is one third of their their capacity, and then the Broncos had nobody. So I don't know what they what they're doing, man. I you know it confuses me. You know. Well, I got my my daughter. She just went. You went well, well before me, and then I went in the late eighties. Hey, hey, hey. What do you mean, well before you? Hey, well, man. at least two or three years before me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, my my daughter Savannah, she's a recent. Recent alum. Actually, you guys are actual alumni. I, I love talking to my SC buddies because they're all alumni. I never finished. I signed after my junior year, so do I really count as a as a fellow? Tro- I think I do. I'm going to keep it at that. Yeah, but well, uh, sure. you played for Rod Dato, didn't you? 
I didn't. I missed Rod. Rod was, yeah, his last year was uh, 87, my senior year in high school. And then uh, Mike Gillespie took over, who, who recently passed uh, a few weeks ago. Good man. Uh, but Rod was around a lot. And you talk about you talk about a character. Did you know Rod? I, you know, I met him a few times because his daughter, his daughter was in theater school with me. Oh, okay. He yeah. is. The, I'll tell you what, what Rod is. He is the college version of Tommy Lasorda, but oh, yeah. a good, he's the guy that you want to get up at every banquet and tell some story. I mean, he was a classic good man. You know, he was, uh, I played for Gillespie who was, who was equally as good, different, different talent set. You know, different skill set, but uh, both wonderful guys. But uh, was McGuire there when you played? Now you're dating me, Johnny. No, Max probably. F- I want to say he's probably five years ahead of me. So he's he's five years older than me. So him and Randy uh, were before me. The only the only, uh, and then my brother was after me. So yeah, I, I think Mac was early eighties. But uh, yeah, we missed out on that. But SC, and have have you been out there recently? In recent years, you know what? I really haven't. My my son uh, uh, lives out there, and he works for a video game company, and uh, a big video game company. He's, he writes uh, shows and stuff. And and uh, anyway, um, all of a sudden he, he wanted to go back to school, and uh, so he wanted to go to USC. So I. There we went to, went to campus and I saw the head of uh, whatever that did let you in. Well, we had a big uh, uh, and then uh, he said, "Well, you know, you have to take this class and that class, that class." And he said, "Well, you know, my my son, well, I'm probably going to have to quit my job if I got to take that many classes." And then this guy says, well, where do you work? And he says, well, I work for this video game company, which is Square Enix, which used to be Squaresoft, that do all the Final Fantasy games and all that stuff. I mean, it's a big video game uh, company, which is another story I could tell you. But anyway, this guy finally looks at him and goes, wait a minute. You work for one of the biggest video game companies, and you want to come back to school so you can get a job working for a video game company? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so and we, i could i could teach him how not to go to class yeah my son and i went out and had lunch and we talked about it he goes you know dad forget it he's right you know and so he, he never went so anyway it's pretty funny well yeah it and man it's changed a lot you know from from when the time you went there and when i went there i would it's like a different world up there i mean you just you know it's like a mini you've got they give you one card and, and you go to Starbucks and you go to Walmart with the same card. And you're all, it, I remember when I went up there, uh, when I went to school in the late eight, I mean, we had bars on our windows and, it, and nowadays these kids have all the security and it is beautiful compound. It's still, you know how it is once you get on campus, it's unbelievable. Well, you were what mid eighties. I was 80, 88 was my freshman year. I went there 88, 89, 90. Yeah. yeah. I was there sixty nine to seventy three, right? So, I, mean, I I I actually I went the fall of sixty eight nine and the spring of sixty nine, but uh, when I was there, uh, UCLA, UC, USC, uh, and the Rams all played in the Coliseum, and I worked at a bar right near the Coliseum, and my apartment was right on Menlo Avenue. If you, I don't yeah. know, right across from the Coliseum, I had a eighty five dollar a month. 
Murphy bed apartment for her. And I worked at the bar and was going to theater school, man. So that's uh, awesome. Yeah. I, I remember, I do know Menlo Avenue. Oh, yeah. So, well, anyway, we're we're going to talk to like I said, this is my this is my uh, debut on this side of the mic, and, and we're going to talk to Mister Ashton. And and uh, you know, as we came in, uh, Johnny and I met years ago uh, on the set of Little Big League in, in Minnesota. I was a little punk rookie, and all of a sudden, I look up and there's Taggart, and, and that's that's when our journey began as as friends. But. Uh, on the big baseball fan, been in some baseball movies. Who who is your team, Johnny? Who's John Ashton's team? New York Yankees. You New York Yankees. New York. Man. Oh, come on! You're making this too easy. Oh, I, honestly, hey, I grew up in Connecticut, man. You're either a Yankee fan or a Red Sox fan. You know, it's like you know, it's like being in Chicago. You're a White Sox fan or a Cubs fan. So, uh, and you know, uh, where in Connecticut did you grow up? I grew up in a little town called Enfield, uh, right on the Massachusetts border. I used to live in West Hartford, so it's amazing you're not a Red Sox fan. No, and you, and I was born in Springfield, Mass, actually. In wow. In Enfield, Connecticut. But, hey, look, I hate to date myself, but Mickey Mantle won the Triple Crown in 1956 when I was eight years old. So <laughs> I've been a Yankee fan my life, man. Well, that's pretty cool. And, you know, the, the thing is, on my side of the ledger, now, obviously, you know, Aaron's managing the team. I, I kind of – I'm like a forced Yankee fan. Because if you're not a Yankee and you're a player – there's not too many guys that like the Yankees. You respected them uh, in my time in the nineties and early two thousands. Uh, you know, the Yankees were always good. You always respected them. You know, they're always going to be tough. They won a bunch of world series in the nineties, but, uh, you know, I've kind of been brought over forcefully, kind of like by default. Like I kind of got to cheer for him now. You know, I got to kind of hope my brother does all right. So I, I've kind of been forced. But to be an out and out Yankee fan, man, I, I, I for sure thought you were going to be a Boston guy, too. Yeah. All right, I want to get to I want to get to a few things. And, and a question I have for you, let's you know, I knew as a kid. Let me tell you a quick Red Sox. Story. You got it. Go. All right. We're doing uh, Gone Baby Gone in Boston. Ben Affleck's directing it, right? And Affleck's a huge Red Sox fan, obviously. So Eddie Harris and I, Eddie Harris grew, grew up in uh, New Jersey, and I grew up in Connecticut. And Eddie and I, are we've, we've known each other for 40 years. We were in theater groups together. Anyway, so Eddie and I are playing partners in the movie. And Eddie's a big Yankee fan, and I'm a Yankee fan. So Ben Affleck, the first day, gives us a goodie gift, you know, to welcome us to the show and blah, blah, blah. And in the goodie gift, he's got a Red Sox hat. And we looked at him and said, what the hell are we going to do with this hat? You know, so so I ended up giving the hat to my sister because she's a Red Sox fan. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it is true, Dan, when you say you're either – or, or no, I think Johnny said it. You're you're either a, a Yankee fan or a Boston fan. There's really no love lost between either, and oh. it's a train ride away. And you know, it was a it was a rivalry. I never, you know, you always want to play for the Yankees, but you always hate them. I told you as a player, that's how I looked at it. But uh, no, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but, I can understand why. What's his name? The second baseman oh. for the Yankees who left to go to Seattle. Cano. Cano. Robert, what the? You don't leave the Yankees to go somewhere else. You leave somewhere else to go to the Yankees. At two hundred fifty million, I think most of us would have gone. Yeah, and yeah. the Yankees, Yankees weren't going to pay him. Yeah, well, yeah. Robert, Robinson is a good, 
good player because you know he went to my city he went to my city seattle so i got to you know i paid a little extra attention to him for for a few years he's back he's having a good year this year with the mets yeah he is he is all right I, i'm sorry to interrupt so lay it on me you're screwing up my my no i'm kidding no i i get but i've got some interesting stuff stuff that you know uh, we go back a long ways. We played in a lot of golf tournaments together, but we've never really, you know, I, I, I've got questions that I kind of want to ask you in your life. And, and what was it like for you? When did you know? I knew for myself as a baseball player, I knew from the time I can remember, I was going to be a big league baseball player. And if you didn't think, if you had any questions, just ask me because I'd set you straight. When for you, do you remember you had that moment where you said, I want to be an actor. This is what I want to do. And, and tell the Boom podcast audience. I was 15 years old. Um, I grew up in a in a pretty rough town, and uh, and I was a juvenile delinquent. I really was. You know, I was stealing cars and breaking into hardware stores, and I grew I, I grew up with some pretty tough guys, and and they're still pretty tough. Um, at one point, my my mom wanted to send me to Stanton Military Academy to straighten my act out, and Anyway, uh, I kind of dabbled around in acting a little bit uh, when I was 12 or 13 years old. My sister tried to get just trying to get me involved with something to get me away from the streets, you know. And um, when I was uh, 15 years old, I auditioned for the Hartford Stage Company. It was their premier production of Othello. And um, I got a got a two line part, you know, and an extra thing. And. Uh, we were rehearsing one night and it was about two o'clock in the morning and I was sitting there. And of course the people that were doing the leads in the show were all Yale school of drama people and stuff like that. And I sat there for a minute and I thought, you know what? I'm sitting in here and I'm really loving what I'm doing. And instead of being out on the street, getting in trouble, you know, I, and I, and it really hit me hard. And I just went, this is what I want to do. I think, you know, so uh, the director in my in my high school came up to me in the hallway one afternoon and he said, would you like to be in a play? And I said, sure. So it ended up being Oklahoma and I played Judd Fry and I got voted best actor and and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, this is what I want to do. You know, I got an IK. I was more and more saying this is what I want to do. And then when I graduated, I gave the advice to the undergraduate speech, which is a a funny speech where you give them bad advice and all that stuff. Well, it was 1966 and it was right in the middle of the Vietnam war and all the crap that was going on in the world. And, and uh, as I'm giving my speech, uh, you know, and needling everybody and needling the teachers. I mean, everybody was laughing and it hit me so hard, Brett, that here I, here I had the opportunity to take these people for two hours away from all the crap in the world and bring them together and let them escape from all that stuff. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. And I, and I, and I stuck to it. And I went to college in Ohio at a small college and I, uh, my first two years, and then I transferred to USC for four years. But my first two years, I played football there uh, my freshman and sophomore year, but I was also a theater major. And then I got a job uh, offered my, my sophomore year to go to Cape Cod and do summer stock. And I was married. I got married really young at that time, my first wife, and we had a baby and I was, 
I go to Summerstock with my wife and a three-month-old baby, and I was making 25 bucks a week in room and board. But I loved what I was doing, and I didn't care, you know. And uh, I was at the theater constantly, and and uh, that's when I said to myself, you know what? I could be the best actor in the world, but who the hell is going to know it in Defiance, Ohio, you know? So that's when I applied to USC, and I got accepted at the theater school. And then I wrote him back and I said, well, I don't have any money to go. I was broke. And I said, can I postpone it for a year? And they said, absolutely. So my wife at the time was from Chicago. So we moved to Chicago and I worked on the freight docks for a year in Chicago and saved enough money to get to L.A. Got to L.A. in a U-Haul trailer, a one-year-old baby, and I knew nobody. I got a motel room and we finally found an apartment and I started USC as a theater major. And I quit. Wow. wow. When did you realize that you'd arrive? When were you? I've got my story. I've got my time when I really realized, you know, I grew up around this game. So it was always a part of my DNA. But when did you arrive and feel like, holy shit, I'm famous? Well, my moment was actually Beverly Hills Cop 1. Uh, I mean, I, it, I'd done a ton of stuff before that. That was 1984. And I've been doing theater in L.A. since 1973 or 72. Uh, as I, I, in 1973, I graduated from SC, and I also won the Drama Critics Circle Award for Best Supporting Actor for A Flea in Our Ear, which was a French farce we did at a little theater in Hollywood. And But um, it wasn't until, you know, and even when we were shooting Beverly Hills Cop, it was just a job to me, you know? I mean, I never I, I never think beyond that, you know? It's a job. I'm going to do my the best I can do at my job. And I never think about stardom or any of that stuff. I mean, it's that's the last thing in my mind. However, I went to the premiere with Judge, and we were sitting there, and we are going, and the audience, and believe me, the premieres are nothing but industry people, you know? And they're the toughest audience in the world, and they were howling, and and we went, holy cow, I think we're in a hit movie here, man. So the next night, Judge and I went to a regular theater in Westwood and sat in the balcony because we wanted to see how a regular audience reacted. And they were hooting and hollering and screaming. And I went, holy, Judge and I went, we got to get out of here before the movie ends. So we left. And I think that's when I realized I'm in a hit movie, man. I mean, I never thought of myself as a star, but I, I did know I was in a hit movie. And then I, uh, we went back to do Good Morning America and all those talk shows in New York, Judge and I, and uh, people on the street were screaming at us and, hey, you know, and uh, so at that point, uh, you know, I, I kind of knew, you know, <laughs> I, I, the whole world knows me now. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's a cool moment. I, I as a baseball player, I, I would never know what it's like to watch, a new, you know, to walk into a movie and see myself and, and just watch other people and see how they reacted to me. Usually they're screaming at me on the field right. and, and I don't really take them serious, but you know, I, I, it, and I think you're right. And I think you touch on something. It's not necessarily, Hey, I'm famous. I'm recognized. It's like, no, people are appreciating what yeah. I'm doing and all this hard work exactly. is finally paying off. You know, I was in, ah, oh, man, you know, growing up and, and when my dad was in Anaheim in the eighties, when I was in high school and teammate of his was Reggie Jackson. And, and occasionally I'd go and I'd, I'd be the ball boy down the right field line when I was 15, 16 years old. Right. And I'd warm Reggie up in right field and he'd get pissed when I threw it over his head, but I didn't care. Cause I was just a kid. And 
my first series, I went to Oakland. This is right when, when I first get called to the big leagues in 92. And you were playing for who then? I was playing for the Seattle Mariners. And, oh. you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm green as can be. I just got there. I've been in the big leagues a week. Was that was Seattle your first pro team? Yep. Seattle was my first pro team, which was uh, signed with them in 90, uh, came up in 92. Was my first was my first time in the big leagues, but I remember coming out of that clubhouse, and I look up and look who look who's waiting for me. It's Reggie because he had ties to the Oakland A's back then, right, and right. he came over to me and he had a tear in his eye and he gave me a hug and he said, "Kid, I knew you were going to make it." Wow. Now stuff like that, being around those guys all the time growing up, it wasn't a big deal being around Reggie Jackson, but but as an adult now, I was being recognized in in my mind as a peer of, of Mr. October. And, and as much as, you know, athletes really didn't star strike me growing up because I was around them all the time to be uh, recognized on the same level as, as, like I said, Mr. October, that was kind of my moment where I'm like, wow, Reggie just hugged me as an equal. And I thought that was really cool. So, so I was kind of interested in that moment for you. And I figured it was a Beverly Hills cops. And I'm sure, you know, you probably got the reaction. I remember the first time I saw you when we were in Minnesota and I'm like, that's Taggart, yeah. you know, cause that's my time. And, and that's when I was growing up. So I, I thought that was, that was awesome. And you know what actors, uh, you guys all want to, you all want to hit BP. You all want to be baseball players. All of us, we want to be actors. Sure. And and the typical, the rock stars, they, they don't want to be either one. They want to be rock stars because they got the best of all worlds. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's just stuff like that. It, it's really fascinating to me. I got a question for you. Being yeah. a Hollywood star, what are the uh, what are the perks? Give me some of the perks. And it could be a simple thing when you go to an award event. Or, or just give me a perks of being on a big, uh, being on the set of a big movie. Kind of tell the audience what's that like. Bring them in a little bit. Well, being on the set or just being outdoors. Outside? Just what are the what are the perks? What 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 what's it like for a Hollywood star to come on set? How's the treatment? What's the what's the uh, what's the catering like? You get stuff in your gift basket. I'm hearing you're getting iPads and you know at least the current day guys. They, they talk about coming out of the coming out of an award event and and the gift back the gift basket was 25 grand yeah you know worth of stuff i never got anything like that (laughs) (laughs) so your perks were you didn't have any perks what are the perks no well you know i mean other than the good seat at the restaurant i'll I'll tell you a, a surprising thing i mean and stuff like this surprises me a lot last christmas I, I'm in Colorado now, right? So I, I go out to eat dinner like, oh, this was like three or four nights before Christmas. And I really wanted some fish and chips. So I go to this place by myself called the Mood House, which has a great fish and chips in, in where I live. So I'm, and I wanted to watch the ball game and just eat some fish and chips. So, I'm, you know, the football game's on and, and I'm eating these fish and chips and, and I'm sitting at a booth by myself. And uh, all of a sudden, the, waitress comes over and I said, can I have my check? And she said, it's already taken care of. And I said, what? And she goes, oh, your check's taken care of. I said, by who? And she said, well, they don't want me to tell you. Uh, but, you know, and I, I said, well, yeah, but I'd like to thank them. And she said, well, no, they don't want you to know and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I guess the, the couple that paid for my my dinner had left. And then she came over and she said, oh, it was that couple that was sitting in that other booth. 
they wanted to buy you dinner. But and I never met them. I never did anything. And then I, you know, I thought, well, this is kind of cool. You know, I, I, it was kind of cool. But then all of a sudden, I thought, well, maybe they were just sitting there thinking, gee, look at that poor old man. <laughs> 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 you know, I mean, and in Booney, I'll tell you, after Cop 2 came out, um, and this is not a perk by any means, my son was uh, two years old. And we go to uh, uh, this amusement park, um, uh, Six Flags, Magic Mountain. Right, right. And he's two years old, and we're in this crowded, and I'm holding his hand, and all of a sudden, a crowd of people come up to me and want autographs and stuff. Somebody recognized me, and I try to wear glasses and do all that, but still somebody recognized me. And they come over, and they wanted autographs. And so I let go of my son, and I'm signing these autographs, and I turn around. Two seconds later, he's gone, and I freaked out. I freaked out. I thought somebody grabbed him, you know. And all of a sudden, I look, and about thirty feet away, he was over at the ice cream stand trying to get ice cream. So, but I said to myself, "I will never ever do that again." Let go of my son's hand. <laughs> yeah, don't do yeah, that. There's perks and there's not perks, you know. I mean, right, right. There's the good side, and then there's there's some stuff that when you sign up for this life, uh, you you got to take the good with the bad. Yeah, you're a bit of a target, you know. So yeah, now I want to get to. I want to get to the Hollywood side and what, what is the, what is the best baseball movie of all time? Mine's the bad news bears. And I'll tell you why bad news bears, a bunch of little leaguers, but it was so natural. And it's little leaguers that hit like little leaguers, hit little leaguers that pitch like little leaguers, kids being a, a pain in the ass, being smart ass. That's why I liked it. What is John Ashton's favorite baseball movie? And I know you, little big league you were in, yeah. So you, you might be a little, you might be a little uh, partial to that, but what's, what's your, what's the best baseball movie of all time? Well, they're probably not going to be what you think, but uh, the Kevin Costner movie um, uh, about the minor league, uh, what's the name of it? Uh, Bull Durham. Bull Durham. Bull Durham. I love Bull, Bull Durham. Uh, and I think the Naturals is a great movie. I think Redford's really good in it. I, I know, you know, you, you get upset with, Actors trying to play baseball. <laughs> How would you possibly know that? <laughs> I know you, Booney. That's why. No, and and it's it's not. But man, I, I just yeah, the reference. You know, the the typical. Oh, he he plays for the Yankees, so let's put a Yankee hat on him when he's walking through the hotel. Stuff like that, and they're the dumbest things that probably play well to the audience, but, but when you do it, you know what? I probably, I probably shouldn't get so upset about the little nuances and just think to myself, it's a movie that it's, it's meant to entertain instead of breaking down. Well, that's not right. You know, I think about it when, when war movies are made and I, and I wonder how much of it's really real. And if a Navy SEAL sitting in the audience doing what I do in a baseball movie going, that's not right. That's not right. Did did I ever tell you about being on uh, the set of Mr. Baseball? No. Well, and and by the way, Dan, John knows my acting chops. I am quite an act. I'm quite an actor. He he got me into a movie. Uh, we'll talk about it in a little bit called uh, Fast Money in in the mid '90s when I was playing. When when I came into San Diego, I think I was with the Reds. But uh, we changed I, the title of that to Fast Movie. By the way, Fast right? It went <laughs> it went straight to video. Maybe there weren't enough screens. It was such. It was so in. You know, people needed to see it. 
But I went on the set of Mr. Baseball and I was I was just out of SC. I was in the minor leagues. And uh, I get a call from a Doug DeSensei, who was the third baseman for the for the uh, Angels. Sure, sure. In the 80s. So Doug's the 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 talent coordinator on set for Mr. Baseball. You know, he coordinates all the all the players and the different scenes. So I'm an A ball. You know, and he says, well, well, Booney, I, I need you to come and, and play short because we need somebody to look the part. And he said, I'll give you 200 bucks a day. And I'm an A ball. You know, we're making 600 bucks a month. And I said, and it was at USC. That was the, one of the venues. And I said, sure, I'll come up there a couple hundred bucks a day. So I get on set and you talk about a scrub. I mean, Tom Selleck's walking around like he's Babe Ruth, like he really thinks he's a baseball player. <laughs> Frank Thomas is rookie of the year. He has no clue what my name is or that I'm a professional baseball player. He's just Frank Thomas. He just won the rookie of the year. And I got this director yelling at me like like I'm I'm the trash man taking out the trash. And I'm trying to make them look good in the middle infield, turning double plays. Right. Well, anyway, I'm getting yelled at, you know, and, and then Selleck, he, he truly is. He's walking around like like he's a real player. And I'm looking at him like, you're, you're not a real player, man. You're an actor. Just <laughs> just know that at the end of the day. Anyway, we have a scene where I'm supposed to be turning double play. Frank Thomas is supposed to be turning double play from first base. We get our signals crossed. I throw across the diamond. He's throwing it to me. And all of a sudden, I got attitude coming from everybody on the field, including the director. So I go up after the, we have a break on set, you know, timeout. I don't know what you guys call that, but I walk up to Doug DeSensei. I take, uh, I take my whatever I had, I was wearing off. I throw it. I said, Doug, I'll tell you what, you can take this extra work and shove it. I'm out of here. And that was that was my that was my baseball movie experience. But I'll tell you, it's no, and I'm getting a little older. I'm a little softer now. I'm not so hard on you guys, but but it's funny to me how well, how you, how you I were, see it. You were at the at the little big league when we were in Minnesota, right? And I was. Uh, and and well Ken Griffey Jr. was there. He was in this in the movie catching the uh you know he robs the home run at the end. And uh, but uh, you, you talk about guys that play in baseball now. Timmy Busfield, who was one of the actors in the movie, one of the stars of the movie, he Timmy's actually not a bad ball player. I think he played for some team up in Fresno or something, but he's not a bad ball player, he really isn't. So, in the movie, he's got to hit one out on Randy Johnson, and then that's when Ken Griffey Jr. steals it, you know, and robs the home run, right? So, the night before we're going to shoot that scene. I'm out with Timmy and Kevin Elster. You know Kevin. Yeah. So Elster. He did and, a little acting after baseball. Yeah, yeah. He was. He had. He was. Uh, you know. He was had a good role in a little big league actually, and he was a heck of a shortstop too. But uh, so Timmy and Elster and I are out the night before having a couple beers, and Timmy's going, "Oh, I can hit one out on Randy Johnson. I can hit one out on him." And Kevin and I are both saying, "No, you can't, Timmy. No, you can't." He goes, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll hit one out on him. I'll hit one out on him. And he's all night long. He's all going to hit one out on him. So we get to the ballpark the next day to the Metrodome. And Randy, I mean, they had 10 different camera angles set up for him to hit it. You know, big wide angles of Randy throwing it and him hitting it and all that. Well, Timmy can't even foul one off. I mean, he can't even touch it, right? So now the producers go out to the mound and they go, Randy, uh, could you just throw like change ups or let him hit one? And he says, okay. 
So now, you know, and he wrote, what, Randy's changeup was, what, 88 or 89? <laughs> I mean, he can't even touch a changeup, right? He can't even touch one. And we're laughing. We're in a dugout just laughing and giving him crap, you know. Finally, the producers go out to Randy, and they go, Randy, could you just throw it a little slower so you can hit it? And Randy goes, I can't throw it any slower than that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we do. See, we got to deal with you Hollywood guys on our field. <laughs> I know. I know. Busfield never lived that one down, man. It was funny. All right, so I got a question, and maybe you could tell it. Do you remember it? The Fast Money story, when I came to San Diego, I ran. we ran into each other. Uh-oh. By sheer, it was just I was coming in. I was coming into town to play the Padres. You and the crew are sitting in the hotel bar, right? And there's my buddy Johnny. Do you remember that story and and how I weaseled my way onto your set? Yeah, yeah, I do. Go ahead and tell. Right. Yeah, well, I I figure it's better coming for you. All right, now I got to set it up. So I come in I come into town and, and uh, we're coming in to play the Padres. And this is mid nineties. I forget when that movie. Like I said, it went straight to video. I tried to Google it. Didn't even have a year on it. That's how that's how successful it was. <laughs> but I I get to town and I see Johnny and I hadn't we I hadn't seen you in a couple of years and I said hey let me put my stuff down I'll come down I have a drink with you sitting in the bar and and. Uh, this is how I remember it went. So we'd had a couple beers and, and the director looks at me and he says, Hey, Brett, could we, could we get some tickets to the game tomorrow? Now all of a sudden I'm starting to feel pretty good. And I said, on one condition, you know, I'll get all you guys behind home plate tomorrow. I think it was 10 or 12 of you. I said, but I have a prerequisite. You need to give me a part in the movie. I need to come on set. I need to have a trailer. I need to have my name on the trailer. I need to have a star on the trailer. And the director, I think he'd had a few beers too. And he said, you got a deal. Uh, so the next day, uh, man, you, like guys, you guys kept your word. I showed up. I had a trailer. Now, mind you, it was about a two by three trailer, but it was a trailer. It was in the contract. I had a wagons, Booney. Yeah, I had a there was a piece of paper with some intern wrote a star on with my name and I was cracking up laughing, but he got it done. And you guys gave me a a little scene where I got to uh, be a uniformed police officer. I was jealous of you and your partner in in the movie. You were the undercover cop. So you had the cool garb on. I remember you had the combat boots and I had this just tired regular cop uni with the stiff hat and the director's telling me how I'm going to drive. I was a little quiet. I kept opening the door. You guys were running into it. We had to do about four takes, but uh, that was, that was my acting debut probably first and should have been last. Uh, so, so everybody out there, I, I, I really don't have the acting chops, but nevertheless, it's always cool to get outside your comfort zone and, and to go to, into somebody else's world just to see what it's like. And I thought it was pretty cool. You got to finish. I'll finish the story now. So we finished. That's why I wanted you to tell it. Huh? That's why I wanted you to tell it. So he, so he about four o'clock, I guess it was. He goes to the director. He says, well, I have to leave because I got a game tonight. So he leaves to go play the game that night. So we, we work until about 11, 12 o'clock, and we were working crazy hours. So we're all back at the hotel bar, and we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, Boone and, and the rest of the guys come walking in, and they look over at me, and they go, 
hey, the big movie star went over four tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's probably true. See, I, I I forget to remember things like that. <laughs> All right, so I got I got some questions for you. And I know you were in uh, uh, some some kind of wonderful, which which man that generation of movies was so right up my alley. And I got a question for you, because I know you worked with him on several occasions. I, I couldn't pick this guy out of a lineup. Uh, I didn't know anything about him, but I knew when I went to the movies in the 80s, you know, in my childhood and my, my high school days, man, it seemed like every hit movie was a John Hughes movie. And, and I know he did some kind of wonderful. I know you got to work with him on a couple sets. This is just the fan in me, just knowing that, man, every movie, it was Weird Science and Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller, right. uh, Home Alone. So it, it was always John Hughes. And uh, what was that like? What, what, the, what made him so great? What, what, I don't know. Why did the audience at that time in history connect so much? And why was John Hughes? He, he kind of defined a generation. So give me a little insight what that was like. Well, he, he knew that generation really well, you know, and, uh, and he hung out with everybody. I mean, he, you know, he'd go to the, to the, to the discos and dance clubs and, you know, and his wife was great. And, and uh, we were shooting actually uh, some kind of wonderful, uh, Howie Deutsch directed and John produced it and wrote it. And we were shooting that in LA. Well, then John was going to shoot. Uh, She's having a baby in Chicago with Kevin Bacon and Elizabeth McGovern. And, uh, and you were in that one. Yeah. And John called me and he said, Hey, I want you to do play Kevin's neighbor in uh, she's having a baby, but they were shooting at the same time as some kind of wonderful. So I was flying back and forth from LA to Chicago shooting both movies at the same time. And, um, and then we, they had a lot of rain in Chicago and we kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And then Howie was screaming for me to be back in LA. And I went out and had dinner with John and I said, you're the producer, John, you tell me where to go and I'll get on the plane, man. He goes, you're staying here until we finish. And I said, okay, fine. So, uh, and then uh, I think a year later, um, he, he called me and asked me to do a cameo in a Curly Sue. And I flew to Chicago and did one day thing with, uh, with, uh, what's her name? Uh, Kelly. Um, uh, anyway, I did a one day deal, but he treated me great. And, and, uh, John, John was, he was, you know, he was known as the king of the magazines. In those days we didn't have digital stuff. It was all on film. And then they had to take it to the, uh, to the studio that night and develop the film and then watch the dailies the next day and blah, blah. Well, John would go through a whole magazine and he wouldn't cut a scene at the end of the scene. He'd go do it again. He wouldn't yell cut. He wouldn't reslate it. He'd just go do it again. Start over again, again, until the, until the, he ran out of film Then they put a whole new thing of film in and he'd go, let's go again. And then, you know, so he he went through more film than any director. He was known known as the king of the magazine. But yeah. now I got a funny story in in some kind of wonderful. Um, I mean, in uh, I'm sorry, in uh, she's having a baby. Uh, there's a scene where Kevin uh, comes back and looks through the window, and and you know he's imagining what what it would be his life would be if he wasn't there. You know, when the baby was born, and he's trying to fantasize. You know, because this. 
young chick at the disco was trying to pick him up and all that. Anyway, so uh, so John said, yeah, we're going to shoot. John and I were having dinner. And he said, hey, we're going to shoot that tomorrow. So I said, well, how are you going to shoot it? And he says, well, you know, he's just going to kind of look in, in the window through the into the living room and, uh, you know, and realize, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I said, oh, that's cool, John. And I said, you know what? And he said, what? And I said, why don't you have it be at Christmas time? And he looks through the window at the Christmas tree and all the presents underneath, and he's not there. And John goes, that's it. You're right. That's it. And that's how he shot it. He shot it as a Christmas scene. So wow. my contribution, uh, she's having a baby. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were the huge, you were the, the guy behind the guy. <laughs> no, no but it, very open to that stuff you know he was great he was great and, and probably why he was you know he had these movies and and you know the kids today they might not say they are but i mean if you were growing up in that generation i mean it's like they never stopped coming oh another move oh it's probably a hughes yep sure enough it is it's yeah. i don't know for me as a kid and that was kind of my generation of movie watching it it seemed like he was behind so that's yeah that's you know, really interesting to me. I got, I, I'm going to switch over to, okay. We know a lot of, a lot of sports fans in, in Hollywood, a lot of, a lot of baseball fans. And I don't want to hear Billy Crystal's a baseball fan. We know he tells us every day. Yeah. He, he lets us know how big of a fan he is, but I see a lot of guys at Dodger stadium, Hollywood. That makes sense. New York, LA, yeah. but who are your buddies? Who are the big baseball fans that maybe everybody doesn't know about? Or are there any could be a current or, or past? You know, I really uh, most of most of my actor friends uh, are really not into sports that much as much as I am. You know, um, I, I had the people that you don't know that were, were good. I, uh, Randy Taylor, who was a, a writer, and he, he actually taught down in uh, down in um, uh, what was a part of South Central LA, really bad neighborhood. Uh, and I used to go down, there, but we used to go to the Dodger games together all the time. And we came out one night, and, and Randy was this big, good-looking black dude now. And uh, he was a great friend. And we and I played with the Hollywood All-Stars baseball and in the softball league, I mean. And uh, so Randy and I used to go to a lot of the Dodger games and scalp tickets and stuff. And so we're coming out of the stadium one night, and these young girls come running up to us. And they said, can we have your autograph? Can we have your autograph? And this was like 1976, some, somewhere around there, 75. So we said, why do you want an autograph? And they, they looked at me and went, well, you're Bill Russell and you're Reggie Smith. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we said, no, we're not. And they, oh, yes, you are. And they refused to believe that we weren't them. So we ended up signing autographs. Bill Russell, thank you very much. And here you go. And, you know, but uh, I know a lot of my friends aren't that big uh, of sports guys. You know, they're really not that like I am, you know, so. Right. So pretty much the, the people you see in the crowd, especially in the postseason, when when the stars come out, those are usually the guys that. Well, and, and you don't even know, you know, they could be there for other reasons. When the cameras are out, they're there. You guys are Hollywood. That's why you're Hollywood. Sure. They're there to be seen. I'm not into that Hollywood stuff. You know that. Bonnie. No, I know that. I'm just giving you a hard time. You guys want to be to get their picture taken and they want the publicity, and they, you know. They don't even know who's playing, probably. <laughs> they just, they, they, somebody tells them what hat to put on. Yeah, exactly. I got, uh, who do you like this year? 
Who, who's going to win the World Series this year? Well, I'm telling you, man, the Yankees were folding there for a while because they were they had too many injuries, you know. And with a six a game season, you don't have time to make that, that you know that time. It's not like you got 162 games. So they went through those injuries, but that. And uh, I, 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 they're going to make the playoffs now. I mean, you can't lose Lemayhu and those guys. Lemayhu's too good a ball player. You, you know, when he they lost him for. Uh, there's just some good guys on that team. You can't, they can't get hurt. Well, I'll tell you, LeMahieu, and, and we had a, a segment on him, and, and and I'm a huge fan of LeMahieu. It probably is fundamentally correct as a hitter as you possibly can be. I love watching great hitters like that. You yeah. know, it's and you're right, and and because he's a New York Yankee, yes, people are starting to know who he is. But when you talk about on a global, you know, or or on a nationwide, you know, the Bryce Harpers and the, uh, right. you know, the Aaron Judges of the world, Lemayhew's down the rail as far as uh, as recognizable or, or notable. But I'll tell you, you watch he this guy play. Profile. you know, he does try to keep a low profile, so you know. But the, but I'll tell you what his peers and and ex players and current players that watch him on a daily basis believe me he's he's held in a pretty high esteem as far as as I would you know just that. he's so good and, and and I just love watching him you know you want to watch sir there's that's what I'm finding now on this side of the ledger a little bit really starting to parse and watch these guys the players of today that are really good man they're fundamentally just they're getting a little bit bigger a little bit stronger. They're really fundamentally sound, just short to the ball. And, and but I see a big gap in today's game. You know, the 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 guy. I see a lot of guys hitting one fifty eight. You can't hit one fifty eight. It's easier to hit three hundred than it is one fifty eight. And I look at this and I'm just going, what are, what are we doing? But the good ones, you're right, Lemayhew. I'm with you on the on the Yankees. I think what it is this year, Johnny, is it sixty games? But it's who's ready to go when the playoffs who's healthy when the playoffs start and uh you know if the yankees can get healthy they're definitely a lineup that can bludgeon you and uh, but they got to be healthy at the right time Uh, a lot of good teams out there but all right you're yankees i started off with the yankees Uh, i'm gonna go with tampa bay i just think they're looking pretty good and tampa bay's tough they're tough And, and they're just got a lot of good players that play a lot of different positions uh, they they've really got some starting pitching when when they get everybody healthy uh, they really line up with uh, some legit number one guys coming at you in that bullpen uh, that bullpen they they got one after the other guys throwing ninety eight so I think they're going to be tough well Johnny it was a pleasure. Uh, talking to you a great friend i've always had a lot of respect for you love you as a human being always humble always a great guy i know you have and and i I've, I've been listening to this for years i know you got a uh a movie coming out once upon a river i think it's either coming out september 30th or october 2nd why don't you tell everybody what you got coming because you've been telling me about it forever i want to see it i was supposed to have an advanced copy i haven't received that in my mailbox even, yet but tell us about it a copy. little bit i don't even have a copy of it goodness well tell us about it well i shot it a couple years ago so you know it's an independent film uh it was taken from a book called once upon a river by bonnie joe campbell um, uh, I, I, they asked me to do this. We shot it in Antioch, Illinois, up at the, up at the lakes there. And, 
I loved the, the book and I read the script and I said, I, you know, they didn't have much money because it didn't have been the film. And I said, I don't care about the money. I want to do this character. And he's a, a crusty old hermit that lives on the river that this young girl stumbled upon while she's looking for shelter. And uh, they form a relationship, but uh, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. We've won all sorts of awards, festivals all over the world in Greece and Italy. Uh, I just won Best Supporting Actor at the Method Fest in Los Angeles. Um, it's a terrific little movie. And Time Magazine just uh, said it's one of the most anticipated films of the fall. Uh, it's opening October 2nd. Uh, but I think it's in virtual theaters in America. It's in real theaters in Canada. I know that. And then it'll be on streaming on Netflix or Amazon or one of those. And But you can get it on virtual theater and I'll, I'll I'll try to post something on Facebook about uh, the link or something or how you do that because I don't know how to do it either. So <laughs> the movie, and I think it I think it's a wonderful film. Uh, and then I got another one coming out after that called Death in Texas, which is pretty cool because uh, Bruce Dern and I uh, play a couple of crusty guys. But anyway, that that's coming out later on in the fall. But Once Upon a River is October second. Awesome, and Johnny. Uh, you know, on a serious note, thank you very much for this. It, it's great catching up with you. Great hearing, hearing your stories and a little bit of, uh, of you know, about your life and, and what it's like. And uh, awesome. You're a good buddy. You've been a good buddy for years. And, I, I, and I'm sure we're going to be good buddies for a long, long time after. So you got it. Um, I, I love you, man. And uh, thanks for having me on. It was fun. Daddy, you got anything? Before you go, Mr. Ashton, I have a couple of lightning round questions just for you. Uh-oh. Oh, here we go. First and foremost, do you have a good Eddie Murphy story? <laughs> wow. Uh, let me think of one here. Yeah. He does this to me all the time. Well, oh, I, I I would be remiss if I did not ask about the Eddie Murphy. The thing, the thing with Eddie is he's, he's a very, very quiet guy, actually. And he doesn't, you know, until he gets on the set, which is takes a while, you know, for him and his gallery to, you know, show up on the set. Uh, uh, the, uh, a good story I have is uh, John Elway is a good friend of mine, and uh, I've known John since '83. And they were we were shooting Beverly Hills Cop in '87. You know, and Eddie's got this entourage of guys, and he's always the last one on the set. You got to wait for him and his entourage. He shows up like Elvis, you know. So, uh, but it's cool, and I don't care, you know. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, Elway and Stutter and all those guys were in town in 87 to play the Redskins at, uh, at the, uh, for the Super Bowl. So John calls me on Wednesday and he goes, hey, man, what are you doing? We're in town, you know, for the game on Sunday. And I said, well, I'm filming. So he said, hey, man, can we come down to the set? And I said, sure. So John and Stutter and Keith Bishop and I think Kubiak was with them. Uh, they show up in a limousine. So I take them to my, my trailer and I had the, the prop guys fill the trailer up with beer so those guys could drink beer while I was working. And I told them, I said, do me a favor. Don't come to the set because my, my trailer was only maybe 30, 40 feet from the set. I said, I'll give you a sign. And when I give you the sign, you come up and stand behind me. So Elway goes, all right. So we're on the set and we were shooting on La Cienega Boulevard at some restaurant. So Eddie finally shows up with Fruity and all of his entourage guys, and we're standing there, and all of a sudden I 
get the notion and and Elway and Stutter and all those big dudes come up and stand behind me. <laughs> and I looked at Eddie and I said, these are my bodyguards, Eddie. And his face just dropped, man. And then he recognized Elway and they all started laughing and we had a great time. That is fantastic. Now, speaking of Beverly Hills Cop, there have been yeah. rumors that there's another one in the works. Is that still going on? Oh, yeah. Uh, Netflix bought the rights from Paramount uh, to do a four and a five. Actually. Wow. So uh, um, hopefully I'll be in it. I didn't do three. I did one and two, and three was uh, not up to par. I was going to say, it was forgettable. <laughs> very, very forgettable. I didn't like the script. I couldn't make a deal. It got to be very complicated, and I ended up doing a little big league instead. So, oh, nice. So, uh, uh, um, so anyway, so hopefully, and the whole world, believe me, I get fan mail every day. Three wasn't the same without you. They can't do Beverly Hills Cop without Tagger. No, no. Uh, every day I get those. So I'm trying to put that into the producer's ear. So because I would love to do uh, four, and I let you get the the group back together again. I think that's the only way to do it. That would be you know, that'd be it's fantastic. Really, the, the, it's really the three of us. You know, it's, it's not just Eddie. It's me and Judge and Eddie. You know, it's the three of us. I mean, Eddie says that in the second one. We're like the three musketeers, he says. You know, he's so, you know. I, I agree with that. I, I, I'll, I totally I'll be coming agree. to the set if that happens, Johnny. You heard it here first. I'll bring the you beer. Know, you know you're always invited to visit me, buddy. <laughs> All right, that is that one. Now, the other one is, do you have any stories from uh, when you were making uh, Midnight Run? Which is one of my favorites of all time. Oh, that was that was a blast to do that. I mean, you know, the, the funny thing is, is uh, was um, Marty Brest, who directed Beverly Hills Cop, also directed Midnight Run. And Marty never cast the same actors in, in any film. He That's it. You work for him once and he doesn't cast you again. But uh, Marty and I got along great. So I was at a play one night in L.A., and an actor friend of mine came up to me. And he says, well, you're going to do Midnight Run, aren't you? And I go, I mean, I don't even know about it. So he goes, oh, I read the script. You're perfect for Dorfler. So uh, I called my agent, my Cracker Jack agent that didn't know anything about it. And uh, I, I get the script, and, you know, I find out Marty's directing it. So I called Marty, and I said, Marty, what's the deal with Midnight Run? And he goes, oh, man, you'd be great in that. So I said, well, you know, and he said, well, you got to audition. I go, Marty, what do I got to audition for you for? We did Beverly Hills Cop together. And he goes, no, it's not me. It's Bobby. Bobby wants to audition everybody, which I found out was a smart thing to do. And I learned something from him from that. He he wanted to choose who he was going to work with. So I go to the audition. And, of course, there's 40 guys out in the hallway reading for the same role. And everybody is scared to death that they got to go in and read with De Niro, right? And I am excited. Man. I can't wait, you know. I can't wait to get in there and read with them, you know. And I said to myself, nobody's getting this freaking role but me, you know. So finally they call me in and uh, Marty introduced us and the writer and the producers and everybody are in the room. And uh, Marty, and I know he did it on purpose. Marty goes, hey, can you guys hold on one second? I got to go do something. So they all left and left Bobby and I by ourselves. So we chatted back and forth a little bit. And then they all came back in. So he says, okay, you want to read the scene? So uh, I'm going to swear here in a minute, so you can cut it out if you want. But So um, we start reading the scene. And in the scene, I ask him for the keys. And he goes, uh, he goes to hand them to me. And he drops them. 
and uh, and that, and that that's a scene in the movie too. But so we're doing the thing, and he had he starts to hand me this book of matches, uh, and and I go to reach for him, and he drops them on the floor, and he stares at me, and I stared at him. And then I stare back at him and I go, fuck you. And he goes, fuck you too. I said, go fuck yourself. I ain't picking that fucking paper up. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we did it in character, you know? So That's awesome. I found out, I found out from the writer later, I walked out, Bobby said, I want him. He wanted somebody to stand <laughs> up to him. He wanted somebody to, to go, go against him. And then Bobby and I got along great. We shot, we were on the road six months on that movie because we actually did start shooting in New York and working across the country. And uh, we got along great and became great friends. And uh, and Groden was great. I mean, the whole camp was great. And, uh, it was a it was a great experience. That is awesome. I'm not going to keep you too much longer. You went to school at USC with John Ritter. What yeah. was it like? To, what, was, what, was he, what was he like? I've heard nothing but good things. Oh, he was a talented, talented guy, man. It was. It's a shame, you know. That, uh, we're the same age, actually, and and uh, yeah, I mean, it just out of nowhere, we used to play softball together on Sunday afternoons at the Dado Field, actually, uh, at USC. And uh, and John was a talented, talented guy, and it's a shame that uh, you know what happened. But anyway, you know, he was he was great. And we we did a couple plays together, and uh, he was a lot of fun to work with, and a very funny, creative guy. All right, well, John Ashton, thank you so much for coming on, hanging out with me and Brett Boot, and all right, man, thanks again. Hey, we'll thanks talk you. soon. Thanks for having me. Anytime.